Good morning, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus, we're so glad your tomb is empty. And that's why we're here on the first day of the week to celebrate your resurrection. And Holy Spirit, we're so glad you were poured out on your church on a Sunday. And so welcome, Holy Spirit. Lord, we're so thankful for Andy and Christy and Liliana and Luke and Levi and many, many years of faithful service here. Uh, be, be with them in a very special way as Andy finishes out his time here and as he moves on to training. Lord, go before them and prepare their way and continue to use Andy and Christy and their family to be a, a blessing to many. Lord, thank you for Amanda and Lisa and Tavanya and Tony who who really oversee kids' ministry and so many who've stepped forward. Lord, we pray that you would raise up more and more people to, to help out and, and welcome children. Lord, we're thankful for those who gathered in our capital to pray for our country because our country desperately needs you, as we do. And that's why we're here. Lord, we're here because we want to be the part of the healing of, of our nation, of, of seeing people turn to you. And so as we come today and open up your word, teach us. May we be so overwhelmed by your amazing grace today that we find as we go out to our homes and schools and workplaces and neighborhoods that we must share amazing grace with those around us. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Today's message is called The Church Are Us. I was recently having lunch with a man, and he said, you know, Smiley, um, I, I haven't been to church because I've been embarrassed. I've been embarrassed because of the struggles in my life, and I, I really didn't want to come. And know what that did to me? It broke my heart. That he thought he wouldn't be welcomed in church if he had, a, if he had struggles in his life. Isn't that, isn't that why we're here, isn't it? And that's what we're going to be learning about today. The, the point of today's message is the church is filled with deeply flawed and, lo and greatly loved people. As you look around, you see the people here, there's two things that are true of them. The first is they're deeply flawed, just like you. But the second is they're greatly loved at the same time. I mean, how many of us have had the experience? We invited someone to church and they said, well, I can't go to church. And you said, well, why not? And they said, what? Well, if I went to church, what would happen? The the roof would cave in, right? Where did people get that idea? It, it breaks my heart. What I long and dream about is that good news would be the kind of church that you could invite anybody to come and know that they would be welcomed. And you would know they would be welcomed because you understand that the church is filled with deeply flawed and greatly loved people at the same time, right? If you have your Bible, turn with me to Genesis 29. <clears throat> If you're new, welcome. This year, we've been learning how the church are us. We're learning how the church started. It started way back in the Old Testament. It started with a man named Abraham. And God found Abraham, and he entered into a covenant with him, a binding promise. And he made two promises. I will bless you and make you a blessing. He says, I'm going to bless a people, and that people is going to be a part of bringing salvation to all the nations. Uh, a blessed people to be a blessing to others. But we've also learned as God begins his people that the church, the church is both deeply flawed and greatly loved at the same time because though Abraham was loved, he was also flawed, wasn't he? He lied about his wife multiple times. And then we met Isaac, right? 
And what did we learn about Isaac? That he also was deeply flawed. He lied about his wife, but he was greatly loved at the same time. And now we're getting to know Jacob. And listen, he's deeply, or deeply flawed. We know he's a deceiver, but he's also greatly loved. Matter of fact, right now in the story, his brother is out to murder him. You ever worry about your kids murdering one another? Esau was out to murder Jacob, and so his parents say, go away. Rebecca says, go to my family and marry a believer. Because God makes it very simple as Christians to, for who to marry. He says, marry anyone you want to as long as they're a Christian, they share your faith. So Jacob's headed off to find a wife. And by the way, he's 77 years old, not married yet. Genesis 29, verse 1, Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the sons of the east. So some of this is a review from last week. Here's a map. Jacob started in Beersheba. Rebekah's family is Haran, 500 miles. He's walking, it seems by himself. The first few days he goes uh, about 60 miles. He gets to Bethel, and then God appears to him, and God renews his covenant with Jacob, and confirms it, and he says, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make you a blessing to all the nations, and one of the blessings I'm going to give you is I'm going to multiply your descendants. Okay? So Jacob is on a journey 500 miles. If he walks 30 miles a day, it's going to take him 16, 17, 18 days. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the sons of the east. He looked and saw well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep were lying there beside it. For from the well they watered the flocks. Know what I did this morning? It was amazing. I walked in the bathroom, and I turned the faucet, and you know what came out? Water. And I said, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. I have running water. Do you know how, many, how few people in the history of the world have running water? And it's right there. And are you thankful? When was the last time you thanked God for living water? As you look around our country, could you say there's anybody in our country maybe who's ungrateful? That we have so much, but we have so much, it no longer amazes us. When was the last time you thanked God for running water? These people had to come to a well to get water to drink. They had to get water to take a bath. They had to come and get water. It was such a big deal just to get water that's right there at our fingertips, right? So they had to come to get water. Now notice, now the stone in the mouth of the weld was large. There's this big stone on the, on the, the mouth of the well uh, to, to keep the water from evaporating. When all the flocks were gathered there, they would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place on the mouth of the well. So they would wait for all the people to get there because it was a big stone. And then several shepherds together would remove the stone. They would water their sheep and then put it back. Jacob said to them, my brothers, where are you from? And they said, we are from Haran. He said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nabor, Nahor? And they said, we know him. And he said to them, is it well with him? And they said, it is well. And here is Rachel, his daughter, coming with the sheep. So 
<laughs> Jacob looks. She's really good looking, okay? So notice what he says next. He said, Behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered. Water the sheep and go. Pasture them. What he said was, why don't you water your sheep and go away? Because he wanted to be alone at the well with Rachel, not have all these other people there. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered. And they rolled the stone from the mouth of the well, and then we water the sheep. No, the way we do it is we wait for everybody to get here, and then we, we move the stone together, and then we, we all drink and put it back. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep. For she was a shepherdess. When Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban and his mother's brother, Jacob went up and rolled the stone from the mouth of the well and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. So what happens to guys when, when a girl's around? What do they want to do? They want to what? There you go. They want to show off. It usually took several men to move the stone, but, but Jacob wants to impress Rachel because he thinks he's good looking. And by himself, he does what? He moves the stone all by himself. Look at me, I'm the right person to marry. <laughs> and by the way, how old is he? There you go, he's 77 years old. He's still pretty strong at 77, right? Um, so he watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel. And this is kind of, it's not a romantic thing. It's part of the hospitality of the time. Then Jacob kissed Rachel, at least that's what Rachel thought, and lifted his voice and wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and that he was Rebekah's son, and she ran and told her father. As a runner, I love this. There's a lot of running in the story. So when Laban heard the news of Jacob, his sister's son, about his nephew, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Then he related to Laban all these things. Um, you know, you can't separate people from their phones today. Have you noticed that? Because we have to be in immediate contact with people. Do you realize that it was almost 100 years before this that Laban's sister went to marry Isaac and he hadn't heard from her, according to the Bible, in 100 years? Remember, Isaac was 40 when he got married. He was 60 when he had the twins. They're 77 now, so he's 137. It had been almost 100 years since he had heard what happened to his sister. And now, here's his nephew there to tell him about the last 100 years, right? How do you catch up on 100 years? Um, and he related to Laban all these things. And notice what Laban said. Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. Now, when, when uh, Laban saw Jacob, what did he see? What did he say? He saw what? A family resemblance, didn't he? This is, you know, this is his, his nephew, right? And I believe when Jacob looked at Laban, he saw, this guy looks just like me. And that's why he said, Surely you are bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. He said exactly what Adam said to Eve when he saw Eve who had come out of him. Wow, you look just like me. You're bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And he stayed with him a month, catching up on the last hundred years. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Jacob was a really good worker, and Laban's thinking, How can I get him to work for me? Tell me what shall be your shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. And Leah's eyes were weak. 
I took Hebrew in seminary. I only remember one thing. I'm about to share it with you. And it's not important. But it says here that Leah's eyes were weak. And I hesitate a little bit because I heard a pastor say once, his secretary told him if he ever described a woman in less than flattering terms, he was, always, he was swimming in shark-infested waters. So I want you to know I'm about to swim into some shark-infested waters, okay? If you read different translations, her eyes were weak, tender, no sparkle. <laughs> but what my seminary professor said, what it really meant was that she was cross-eyed, okay? <laughs> but there was something about her eyes, right? Uh, <clears throat> that, that was less than attractive. Uh, Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful of form and face, so she had a really nice-looking body and face. Now, Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than to give her to another man. Stay with me. Now, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, so Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of his love for her. Ladies, do you like a good love story? That Jacob loved Rachel so much, he worked for her for seven years, and they seemed like a day gone by. So ladies, let me ask you, would you love a man to love you like that? If you're a single lady, wouldn't you love a Christian guy who said, I love you so much that I want to love you the way God wants me to, that I'm willing to wait until we get married to have sex because God says that's what's best. Wouldn't you love to be loved like that? And if you're a Christian man, wouldn't it be great when you're looking for a wife that you would tell her, listen, I love you so much that I want to wait until we get married to have sex because God says that's what's best for us. Wouldn't that be great? Listen, the most powerful thing in the world is love. Is there a sin in your life that you're struggling with? The greatest way to overcome any sin is with the expulsive power of a new and greater affection. It's to have the love of Christ, which really pushes out the sin. Oh, you know what I would love for people to say about me? So Smiley loved, uh, so Smiley served for Jesus Christ for over 40 years. And they seemed to him but a few days because of his love for him. Wouldn't that be great? Listen, there is nothing more powerful in the world than love. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my time is completed that I may go into her. And we're going to find over and over again that Jacob keeps his end, but then Laban doesn't, so he has to ask for it. Give me my wife. Now, I'm probably going to get into trouble here, but I want you to know the Bible is not a G-rated book, so don't get mad at me. This is not a G-rated story. It's PG-13 at best, and perhaps it's R, Okay. So I'm just preparing. I'm just going to walk through what the Bible teaches, but I want you to know the Bible is not rated G. So don't get mad at me. He says, I've worked for seven years. Listen, now I'd like to have sex with my wife. Laban gathered all the men of the place and made a feast. So they had a big wedding feast. Now in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to him, and Jacob went into her. So he tricks Jacob and gives him the wrong wife. And you say, how did that happen? Well, 
First of all, they partied all day. They probably had too much to drink. And, and then what? It's, it's evening, and, and Rachel and Leah are what? They're sisters, so they probably looked a lot alike, and they probably sounded a lot alike, and she was wearing a veil. And so the deceit worked. Um, now in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to him and Jacob went into her they had sex Laban also gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid so it came about in the morning that behold it was Leah and he said to Laban what is this that you have done to me now just stop for a moment and think you're Leah okay and you've always dreamed about being loved by a man and having a wedding and, and your wedding night and what it would be like. And that night is the one you love thinks you're your sister. Ah. How about Jacob? Think about Jacob. You've worked for seven years because you loved Rachel and you wake up after your honeymoon night and you're married to the wrong woman. Now, when in the story, when in the story do you think that uh, Laban told uh, Rachel what the plan was. How, how would you like to be Rachel? You have waited for seven years. For seven years you've waited for this. And your dad gives your sister to the man you love. Wow. And I want you to know something. The church are us. You think your family's weird? You think your church is weird? This is where it all came from. This is how it all started. Listen, the church is filled with deeply flawed and greatly loved people. Interesting. Um, so Jacob, who we often think of as a deceiver, asked Laban, uh, what is it this uh, that you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served with you? Why then have you deceived me? So the deceiver met his match, right? But Laban said, it is not the practice of our place to marry off the younger before the firstborn. And isn't that the source of all of Jacob's conflict with Esau? Isn't it all about the firstborn and the younger? And the same thing here, right? Um, it's not our practice in our place to marry off the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also for the service which you shall serve me for another seven years. Laban says, this is great, man. I can get seven more years of work out of this. Jacob did so and completed the week, and he gave him his daughter, Rachel, as his wife. Now, I want you to notice they, he, he had a week's marriage to Leah, then he marries Rachel. Then he works another seven years to pay for her. Um, Jacob did so and completed the week, and he gave him his daughter Rachel as his wife. Laban also gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her maid. So Jacob went in to Rachel also, and indeed he loved Rachel more than Leah and served with Laban for another seven years. Now, I want you to know this is not God's design. The Bible begins with saying, for this reason, a man shall leave his wife or his mother and father and be cleaved to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And so now one husband, two wives. And the problem with that is there's always going to be one who's loved more than the other, right? And that's what's happening here. Now, the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, and he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. 
Today's message is going to be a little more theological than, than usual, so, so stay awake. What we're discovering here is the great doctrine of providence. Providence is that God rules over what he had made. The Bible begins with the doctrine of creation, and that is that God made everything out of nothing, and then providence is that God rules over everything that he made. I want you to see how intimately God is involved in life, in our lives, and in all the things we're involved in, because the Lord saw that Leah was unloved. The Lord saw, and he opened, he moved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren that God is involved in the conceiving of children. Leah conceived and bore a son and named him Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has seen my affliction, surely now my husband will love me. Wow, I'm giving him a son. Man, now he'll love me. Um, then she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me another son. Wow, surely he'll love me now. I've given him two sons. So she named him Simeon. She conceived again and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will become attached to me. He'll love me more than my sister because I have borne him three sons. Therefore he, named, he was named Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Maybe my husband will never love me like I want, but listen, God loves me, so she named him Judah, praise the Lord. Then she stopped bearing. Now when Rachel saw that she bore a son, that she bore Jacob no children, she became jealous of her sister, right? How's this working out? And she said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. Jacob, give me a child or I'm, I'm going to die. And listen to the, you think you have a conflict in your marriage. Then Jacob's anger burned against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of your womb? Listen, I'm able to have kids. You're the one who's not able to. What have you done wrong? Listen, the church are us. The church is filled with deeply flawed and greatly loved people. She said, here is my maid Bilhah. Go into her that she may bear on my knees that, the, that through her I too may have my children. So she comes up with this great idea. It's not a new idea. She gives Jacob her maid as a, a third wife so that she might have a children and count that child as her own. So she gave him her maid Bilhah as a wife and Jacob went into her. How much resistance does Jacob put up? How much? None, right? This seems so strange to us, doesn't it? But know what we do today that sounds so strange? If you Google surrogacy, you know what will pop up? What will pop up is women who are willing to rent you their womb so that if you're not able to carry a child or maybe you don't want stretch marks, you can hire a lady to carry your baby for you. Listen, not much has really changed since then, uh, has it? <clears throat> so she gave her maid Bilpah uh, <clears throat> as a wife, and Jacob went into her. Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me and indeed heard my voice and has given me a son. Therefore she named him Dan. Rachel's maid Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. So, Jacob, so Rachel said, with many wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister. How's this uh, three wives working, huh? 
With many wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister, and I have indeed prevailed. And she named him Nephthali. When Leah saw that she had stopped bearing, she took her maid Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a son. <laughs> How much resistance from Jacob? How much? None. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think <laughs> Jacob, he's a guy, right? He can't believe what's happening, right? Uh, then Leah said, uh, how fortunate, so she named him Gad. And Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, happy am I, for women will call me happy, so she named him Asher. Now in the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field. Mandrakes were a plant that they believed helped a woman with fertility and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to him, is it a small matter for you to take my husband? Doesn't that sound like what? Like Esau saying that to Jacob? Isn't it enough that you took my, uh, you know, my birthright, now you want my blessing? And would you take my son's mandrakes also? Rachel said, therefore, he may lie with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came in from the field in the evening, then Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come in to me, for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. A lot of resistance from Jacob, right? So he lay with her that night. God gave heed to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Then Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my maid to my husband, so she named him Issachar. Leah conceived again and bore a sixth son to Jacob. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good gift, for now my husband will dwell with me. Surely he'll stay with me now because I have borne him six sons, so she named him Zebulun. Afterward, she bore a daughter and named him Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel. And God gave heed to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. So she named him Joseph, saying, May the Lord give me another son. Uh, and he would. His name would be Benjamin. Okay, so we just read about one husband, four wives, and 12 kids, 12 sons. And you say, Okay, Smiley, what does that mean? And, and that's a good question. But let me give you a picture of what we're looking at first, okay? Here's a picture of it. These are the 12 sons of Jacob. See, there were three wives, Leah and her maid Zilpah, and then there was Rachel and her maid Bilhah. So from Leah, we get Reuben, Simeon, Simeon Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. One, two, three, four, nine, and ten. And a daughter thrown in there too, right, Dinah? And then we get from Zilpah, we get Gad and Asher, seven and eight sons. And then from Rachel, we get Joseph and Benjamin, 11 and 12. And then we get from Bilhah, Dan and Naphtali, five and six. So God had said to Jacob, listen, I'm going to bless you. And one of the blessings, I'm going to multiply your descendants like the stars in the heaven, right? And the sand on the seashore. But it's not exactly the way we thought it would happen, Right? But isn't that what's happening here? That God can take the sinful actions of humans and use them for his own purposes of bringing the blessing of salvation to all the nations. And notice, one of the sons of Leah, Judah, 
one of the sons that came through the, of Jacob being deceived is through the tribe of Judah that Jesus would come and the Savior would come and we would be a part of bringing the blessing of salvation to the nations. I want us to go back to 22 and 23, though. Then God remembered Rachel, and God gave heed to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. At the time of Jacob, the word reproach means shame. The worst thing that could happen to a woman at that time was that she was not able to get pregnant and have a child. And then I thought about our time. Uh, did you know there's a Supreme Court opening? Have you heard of that? And there's this huge fight going on. And, and the biggest part of the fight's going to be over what? Over what? Over abortion. Because there are many in our country today that think, that think the worst thing that could ever happen to a woman is that she would be pregnant. Wow. What a change from the worst thing that could be is to not be able to have a child to living in a time where people think the worst thing that could happen to a woman is to be pregnant with a child. And, and listen, I, I know in a, in a room this side there are many women who've had abortions and, and, I, and I also know there's women here who, who would long to be a mom and you've not able to be. So I want you to hear the gospel. I want you to hear the gospel in this passage. It says, God has taken away my reproach. If your shame is that you've not been able to, take, to have a child, God wants to take it away. Or if your shame is that you've had an abortion, God wants to take it away. That's the gospel, that God has taken away our reproach. He's taken away our shame. Let me help you there. The word gospel means good news, but there's bad news. And the bad news of the gospel is that our sin is worse than we imagined. Over and over, as I've been reading the Bible... Here's what the Bible says, that we are an ungrateful and evil generation. Did you hear that? The first thing God has against us is we take all of these things that God gives to us and we don't give thanks. Do you know anybody in America who's maybe not grateful? Do you? And then, because we're ungrateful to God, then we're evil. That means we rebel against God. God gives us life, breath, food, and all good things to enjoy. And then God says, I want first place in your life. And we say, no. And God gives his parents and say, honor your father and mother. And what do we do? We say, no. And God gives us the gift of sex and joy in marriage. No. And so we are ungrateful and evil and sin against God over and over again. And the Bible says what we deserve for our sin is hell, which is separation from God and from all good things. That's the bad news. But the good news is God's love for us is so much greater than we ever imagined. God doesn't ask us to save ourselves. God saves us. Isn't that good news? God the Son puts on flesh and comes to earth to save sinners. He lives a perfect life for us because we couldn't. And then he goes to the cross. Oh. How does God take away our reproach? He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, our abortion, 
our immorality, our disobedience to our parents, our ungratefulness, all of our sins were placed on Jesus and he paid for our sins once and for all. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Jesus died on the cross for our sins once and for all. He rose proving he had conquered sin and death. Now listen, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. When Jesus rose from the dead, he makes us the greatest offer ever. He offers us eternal life. Jesus says, I'll make an exchange with you. You give me your sins, and I'll forgive you of all your sins, past, present, and future, and I'll give you my righteousness so that you are, are beautiful to God and to others. I'll give you my righteousness so you don't have to keep trying to provide your own. And how do we make that exchange? We make that exchange. It's as simple as ABC where we admit and believe and commit. It starts when we admit our sins. Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And, and, and then we believe. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And then we commit. Jesus, I want you to be my Savior and forgive me and give me your righteousness and give me eternal life, won't you? And I want you to be Lord of my life and help me be the person you want me to be. Oh, don't miss out on the exchange of the ages, okay? Matter of fact, let's just take a moment. Let's all close our eyes, okay? Listen, if, you, if you've never exchanged your sin for his righteousness, won't you now? I mean, Jesus is here. Won't you just admit to him, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And won't you believe, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And won't you commit to him, Jesus, I want you to be my savior. And forgive me of all my sins. And give me your righteousness. I want you to give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life. Help me be the person you want me to be. If you've done that for the first time, won't you mark that on your card? We'd love to celebrate with you and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now listen, if you've done that, I want you to hear, this is one of the great doctrines of the Christian faith that's called justification by faith. And there's two fancy words, there's double imputation. The moment you believe in Jesus, your sins are imputed to Christ and you're forgiven and his righteousness is imputed to you and you're righteous before God. So um, I'm gonna say something and then I want you to repeat me. Okay, I'm gonna say something, you repeat it. I want you to say, I'm gonna say I'm forgiven and then you're gonna say what? You're a little slow. I'm gonna say I'm forgiven and then what are you gonna say? Wow, I hope you say it better than that. Because I want you to understand something. I am forgiven. Thank you, Jesus. I'm righteous in God's eyes. Thank you, Jesus. That is the great doctrine of justification by faith. That the moment we believe, not only are we forgiven, but we're given His righteousness. That's amazing grace. That's what the song means when the song says, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, oh no! And grace my fears relieved." That's amazing grace, and that's what I want for you. I want you to be amazed by grace, that this is a fellowship filled with people who are deeply flawed and greatly loved at the same time. That's amazing grace. And so this week, the action step that I have for you is I want you to model amazing grace. I want you to model it. Could I say that our country desperately needs grace now? Wouldn't that be true? 
What if you went out this week and modeled grace for a grace-starved culture? And you say, well, what do you mean? Well, I'm a pastor, and uh, sometimes people say, well, Smiley, it's got to be really hard to be a pastor. And, they, and, and I'll say, why? And they'll say, because you have to be good all the time. That would be hard. But I don't try and model being good. I've been a Christian for a long, long time, and there are two things I'm convinced of. Number one, I am a great sinner. Could I get an amen for that? What? I'm a great sinner. Is that true? Amen. But certainly, if you won't amen that, you'll amen the next one. And I have a great Savior. That was weak. I have a great Savior. That's what motivates my life. I understand that I'm a great sinner with a great Savior. And that's what motivates me to model amazing grace. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. He knows everything about me. He knows me. He loves me. Isn't that amazing? Know how many people have gotten close to me and met me and said, I want nothing to do with you. But Jesus knows everything about me and he never leaves. And good news, we're learning that, that we, to become disciples. And we say a disciple is a follower of Jesus. And we said a disciple has three great loves. A disciple loves Jesus and loves one another and loves the lost. So how do I model grace? I model a love for Jesus. I want you to know something. I am a flawed person, but I love Jesus. Do you? And you know why I love him and want to follow him? Because he loved me first. The Bible says we love because he first loved us. Listen, religious people, religious people try and follow Jesus thinking if they follow him, maybe he'll love them. Listen, but Christians follow Jesus because he does love them. Jesus captured my heart with his love for me. I gladly give him my hands and feet to follow, don't you? I want people to know I love Jesus and want to follow him. I want people to know that I love Jesus and love to spend time with Him. Sunday morning is precious to me because I love Jesus and I get to gather with my family and spend time with Jesus. My small group is precious to me. I get to gather with others and spend time with Jesus. Every morning, I get to get up and spend time with the one who loves me the way I long to be loved. I want people to see that. Yes, He's a mess. But oh, He loves Jesus. Isn't that what you want people to say about you? You know what else I, I, I want to model? I want to model a love for one another. I love the church. Yes, I see her flaws. For every flaw you see at Good News, I see 10. But I love the church because the church are us. I'm not shocked by the flaws of the church because I read the Bible every day. And know what I read? I read about Abraham. And know what Abraham did? He's the father of all who believe, but he lied about his wife. And I meet Isaac, and he lied about his wife. And I meet about Jacob, and he had four wives. Are you kidding me? And I read about David, the only one in the Bible who's a man after God's own heart. And what did he do? He committed adultery and murder to cover it up. Why are we shocked? The church is flawed. The church are us. And you say, well, what about the New Testament? How about Paul? He's one of my heroes. I love Paul. But do you know that Paul, an apostle, and Barnabas, another, do you know they got in such a big fight they didn't talk to each other for years? Do you ever meet Christians like that? They don't talk. Listen, those are our heroes. Matter of fact, that was the first church split, wasn't it? He was the first, but guess what? It wasn't the last, was it? <laughs> um, 
Listen, the church is deeply filled with deeply flawed people. I'm really glad. You know why? It means I get to belong, right? Where would I fit in if the church wasn't filled with deeply flawed people? And what that means to me to model grace, when I'm meeting with someone and, and they point out one of the many flaws of good news, I almost always agree with them. I say, you know what? You're so right. We're so flawed. And listen, I want you to know there's much worse than what you've seen too. Listen, I want to model. I want to model a love for flawed people because Jesus loves me when I'm flawed, right? I want to model a love for Jesus, a love for the lo- uh, one another. I want to model love for lost people. Um, the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 10.1, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. Do you know I was lost once and a friend came to me and shared with me the bad news and good news and invited me to put my faith in Jesus? I'm so glad he did. And oh, how I long to be that person in the lives of others, don't you? Do you hear what it says? My heart's desire, my prayer to God for them is they would vote like me, that they would agree with me about masks. No, no. You know what this means? That our deep, deep desire must be to see people one to Jesus. And you know what that means in my lives? That, that when I meet lost people, I'm not surprised they act like lost people. And do you know why lost people act like lost people? You know why, don't you? Why? Because they're lost. And I don't want to keep the main thing the main thing. The main thing is not to get them to vote like me. Though I'd like that to happen, but that's not the main thing. The main thing is that they would, what, know Jesus. Hmm. Wow. Our culture really needs grace. Our country really needs amazing grace. And we know it because we've experienced it. So this week... Our assignment as we go, it's not to pretend like we're good. No, no, we want to go out and show people we love Jesus because he first loved us. And we love one another. Yes, we see all of our flaws, but we love them anyway. And we love lost people because we were lost once too. Ah, what a great time to be the church of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, thank you for your amazing grace for us. You've loved us. And because you've loved us, we can love you. Lord, may the people this week around us see how much we love you. May the people around us this week see how much we love one another. Lord, may the people around us this week see how much we love lost people and want our friends and neighbors and those we go to school with to know Jesus. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.